Hello, everyone. Welcome to podcast 101 from Football Adania, your home of Dutch football. Here we are after the World Cup has finished. We're here to reflect upon the World Cup as a whole from a Netherlands perspective. So do get involved in the, in the comments below um, to let us know what you thought about, about the competition as a whole. And you might be listening to this on YouTube, um, maybe on Apple, Apple Tunes, Apple Music or Apple Podcasts or even on SoundCloud. And if that's the case, just drop us a comment wherever you are, maybe on Twitter. And let us know what you're thinking about the Netherlands now, how you're feeling after the tournament, but also looking ahead to the future. We've got much discussed today, and I'm with Mike Bell, the Football Daniel editor, and Abdul, who again joins us from Kuwait. You went to a couple of games during the World Cup, didn't you, Abdul? Yeah. How do you reflect yeah. upon um, the competition as a whole? How do you look back on it? Because quarterfinals was like the minimum, wasn't it, we, we would accept. But it just felt like there was a chance... And having watched Argentina in that final, it was a really good final. It was a classic match. I don't think we wanted them to win. But if the Netherlands had beaten Argentina on that penalty shootout had gone differently, I think Croatia semi-final looks, looks achievable. And then that final, well, I think it can happen in the final, can't it? Just felt like the one yeah. got away. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at, uh, of course, the, the times I was there, I really enjoyed being there. It's, it's a new experience. I've never been to a World Cup match. Uh, especially for the team that I'm so passionate with. So I was really happy to be there for the first two matches against uh, uh, Senegal and uh, Ecuador. But uh, aside uh, of my feelings, um, I don't think uh, it was a very, a very good campaign. We were not really happy or satisfied with any match, um, uh, especially maybe the match against Ecuador. And uh, even the first match, actually, although we won, but uh, we were not really satisfied with the performance. We thought we will be growing from there, but unfortunately, uh, it did not go that uh, that way. Um, I think the best match we played was against the, the United States. Um, but uh, other than that, even the match against Argentina, of course, it was an amazing comeback that we, we made in the last uh, 10 minutes or the last seven minutes, uh, if you add also the, the, the added time to it. But uh, besides that, I don't think we performed anything special, really. Uh, just few players that deserve some praise. Uh, one of them is um, Nathan Ake. And Vichorst, of course, for what he did against Argentina, it was something really special, something that uh, the fans of Orania will never forget. But besides that, um, I stick to my opinion that, you know, you just have to blow this team and bring some new fresh legs to, to, uh, to, to the team for the future. Mm. You'd agree with that, Mike? It feels like the Netherlands could have, could have done something really special here, but because they lost on the penalty shootout, there's a feeling of disappointment. Yeah, I think there's a, a big feeling of disappointment at how the tournament played out and how it ended. I think that if you look back on it, it looks like a missed opportunity. Um, I think a lot of people went into the tournament not exactly excited about the Netherlands, but they thought that they were an outside chance. But during the tournament, the performances, I don't think anyone's coming out of this tournament thinking and looking back and going, oh, the Netherlands are really good. Um, I think they're looking back and going, the Netherlands struggled throughout the tournament and struggled to get the wins. And then the first time that they met a strong side, they went out. Whereas if penalties go different, if it was Netherlands that had the, the goalkeeper that saved penalties, then as you say, it could have been Netherlands going to that final and who knows what happens in the final. Um, Netherlands have a good, decent record against France recently, so who knows what will happen there. Um, so I think it's a, a very big missed opportunity. I think that the game against Argentina was a lot closer than what people want to think it was. Um, and yeah, that, that was on a knife edge. You've just got to look back at that extra time period and think that if Netherlands just went for it a bit, then that was a big chance to to get to that semi-final. But overall, looking at the tournament, I think there's just some players that didn't turn up. Um, I think some players had awful tournaments, uh, Steven Bergwijn being one. I think he was shockingly bad. Um, and I think that the players that did stand up were you know, the Nathan Ake's, the Cody Gakpo's, um, but yeah, just not enough players really played to their played to the level that we expect from them. Um, and if they did, then maybe we could have had that little bit extra to push and get to that semi-final and final. But yeah, I still think there's a lot of excitement going ahead. I think that Ronald Koeman takes over a great bunch to have a lot of potential, and there's there's a lot of talent coming through. So I'm still very excited about this Netherlands side. But I think. Coming out of Brazil, I think there was a lot more positivity about Netherlands. I think everyone enjoyed the performances. Everyone 
had some big moments. But I think if everyone looks back at the moments of this World Cup, I don't think there's many ones that come from a Netherlands game. Do you think the system that Van Gaal played was one of the reasons why people are, are so disappointed? We could have played a 4-3-3 and gone out of the quarterfinals in the same fashion on penalties. I wonder how the feeling would have been. Would it have been the same? Or maybe there's personal performances, some of those players not turning up in the tournament. Maybe that's what's let people down. Yeah, I think that the formation is always going to be one. When you talk about the Netherlands and a 5-3-2, you're always going to get pushed back that they should be playing 4-3-3 and it should be that way. But if the 5-3-2 was going to work, they needed the attack to be on point. And I don't think throughout the whole tournament, Van Gaal got the midfield and attack balance right. Um, I think that they struggled for someone to partner under Memphis. I think Memphis was not fit for half of the tournament. And they really struggled to find that to, to work up front, to make the 5-3-2 work like it did in 2014 when you had someone like Aryan Robin, you had someone like Van Persie. The quality of attackers like that aren't around anymore. So you have to base it on somebody that's going to be in good form. And Netherlands did not have an attacker in good form throughout the tournament because Memphis wasn't fit. Bergwijn didn't turn up. And then in the last game, he resorted to, to long balls towards Weghorst, which worked and worked perfectly. Um, yeah. But I think that going forward, they they need to take a look at the, the attack. And I, I would be in favour of going back to 4-3-3, but they need to find players that can play that formation um, and find that right winger who would solve the issues that Van Hal had with a 5-3-2 and going to a 4-3-3. Xavi Simmons might be that one, um, somebody that can dribble the ball and take on a man because Gakpo can play on the left. And then it's just trying to find that central striker who can play the 4-3-3 if Memphis isn't quite fit. Yeah. I remember uh, Van Hal said this a long time ago. Even Kuman said this, that you have to play so many minutes with your team in order to be selected for the national team but he did not follow his own rule this world cup he picked players uh, that were way out of shape like memphis Depay, for example as uh, michael uh, mentioned um i don't know why did he did not really try the the three attackers of psv since they play all the time you know they are uh, they became pretty much uh, regular starters simons luke de jong and gakpo um, I don't know why he didn't try that. If, if he just kept, you know, uh, kept his rule by bringing in players who are really ready to play and not out of shape, maybe we could have been better with the four-three-three. But four-three-three with uh, Bergfine, uh, this Memphis Depay, uh, it will not really be possible. I'd have loved to have seen something similar to that, Abdul. I'd love to have seen Luke De Jong uh, as a striker. Given how great he's, he's been playing for PSV, and even if some, something as simple as a threat as he is in the air, like I would love to have had a bit of that, bit of Cody Hapo, Memphis, um, maybe not Chavis Simmons, maybe something off the bench from him, and then Coke Minus and Frankie on behind that. I'm not saying it would have been like brilliant and it would have solved all the problems, but I just would have been really interested to see that and a more direct way of playing, something similar to how PSV are playing. Because then you get the quite compact nature. You're playing the counter-attack and then you can get balls into the box. And Memphis can be quite dangerous in that if he's getting those flick-ons from Luke de Jong. That would have been something I would have liked to have seen. But fitting all those players in one go is, is difficult. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying we should talk too much about the future just yet. But Wanakuman, is that something you think he could do? either of you two. Do you think he could go more direct, play a, a tall striker, not necessarily Luke de Jong and Memphis, or is he going to go back to this 4-3-3, which he got so much success from when he, he was the boss before? And Van Gaal has tried to do something similar, hasn't he, by having the pacey forwards kind of thing going on. But it just never quite worked for him because of the midfield behind, behind the strikers. For me, it's difficult because... I think if Kuman had a few games to experiment and a few games to to look at his squad to figure it out and go a few games to experiment, then I think he would try five three two and four three three. The fact his first game straight up as a crucial world uh, European Championship qualifier in France, um, I can see him sticking to a five three two for that one. Same, yeah. Um, just to combat France, 
And then the next game after that is at home against Gibraltar. So I think we might see it. I might think we might see 5-3-2 to start off with. Try and get something in France. Um, and then against Gibraltar, if you're lining up 5-3-2 at home against Gibraltar, I question what you're learning from that. Um, then you've got to look at look at the experiment there, going for 4-3-3 attacking. Maybe not look De Jong. Yeah, so we've got to look for the, the striker that's going to go to the Euros and, and go to maybe a World Cup after that. Um, De Jong, someone that's for now. If he keeps scoring for PSV, then he should still be in there. Um, I think, Abdul, you've mentioned him before. Um, Brian Brobby is somebody that if he starts after January in good form for Ajax and he starts and he keeps that place, he is someone that can come into the side um, and show himself and show what he's about in a 4-3-3. Um, so I'd be intrigued to see what he can do um, going forward. And he's something that's got something a bit different that I don't think defenders like playing against him. He's strong, he's powerful, yeah. he's quite quick. Um, he'd cause mayhem in a 4-3-3. So he's somebody that I'd look at bringing in for giving him not maybe the France game, but the Gibraltar game to see how he can cope um, in a 4-3-3 going forward. But I think that Kuman doesn't have much time to, to figure this out. He has to come in, get a squad ready because... I don't. I think this European Championship qualifying group is a lot harder than some people are making out. Um, so I think that you could you could write off the France game, but after that, every game becomes crucial. Um, so I don't think he has much time to experiment. Well, but the good thing about the Euro qualifier is, of course, the first and the second qualifies uh, qualify uh, directly, and Holland now is in the Nations League semi-final. So we also have a chance to qualify through the playoffs if we have any difficulties or if we don't make it in the in the qualifiers. You know, we can go to the playoffs as the Nations League uh, semi-finalists, and that I don't think that will be very tough because I don't think I don't expect tough teams to be there. Mm. That's uh, that's number one. Number two, uh, as Michael said, yes, I I would love to see Broby up front. Um, I have this. Uh, Lineup I, I wrote today actually. Uh, Nopert, uh, Frimpong. I would love to see Frimpong, uh, Van Dijk, De Ligt, and maybe Nathan Ake as a left back, if not Malasia. Uh, the, the midfielders, Frankie Dion, Cope Miners, and Simmons as a playmaker. Up front, well, we don't have a right winger. Um, it's only maybe Bergfein or Nawa Lang for now. Broby and uh, Danjuma or Gakpo. Unless, of course, you try with some other player to put him as a right winger, uh, like Danjuma, for example. I don't know if that's going to work with, with him. Doesn't that exercise that will kind of tell you the problem that Van Hal had? There aren't these wingers to, to play. And playing the 5-3-2 gets the best out of players like Frimpong and Malassi. You can go more attacking. They can act as midfielders. Frimpong has been a winger in his, in his career. That, that surely suits players better and could the Netherlands not continue to play that against those tougher sides? Maybe those top 20 teams in the world, top 30 maybe, that's still, there's still a place for this 5-3-2. And, you know, did Van Hol use that to, to good effect in, in this tournament is my second question. Uh, Michael, my point is, if, if you have a, world, uh, a world-class defenders like Nathan Ake, De Frey, Van Dijk, uh, they all play for big clubs, even Botman, who was not selected anyway. But I'm just mentioning all the big names uh, we have now in Holland. They are all, they can play in very high level. Then why do you play with 5-3-2? In 2014, it was obvious because we had very weak defenders. We had the defense, uh, the defenders of Feyenoord in 2014. Jan Mat, De who was very young by then, and uh, Martins Indy. But now you have world-class defenders. Then why you stick to 5-3-2? Especially that you really don't have any special attackers. Nobody was in form. I don't think we were really... To get um... out of the wing-backs, though, no? Sorry? To get the best out of the wing-backs, you could play... Yeah, exactly. Or three, well, okay. three defenders is what Van Hal might like to say. <laughs> well, if you, if you play 5-3-2 and you give more chance for uh, uh, Dumfries or Frimpong you know, to, to attack... And of course, um, let Blint sit uh, on the bench and bring Malasia. By that, by that time, the 5-3-2 could have been much more dangerous. And I think we tried some of that against USA. And we saw how the team was way better. It was probably the best match we played in the tournament. 
just because he freed, he, he kind of released uh, uh, Blind and, um, uh, what's his name? <laughs> Dumfries, yeah. And we saw what Dumfries did, right? He scored the goal and he had two assists. So why you stick them again in the back and not giving them a chance to attack? So it will it can only work if he just release them and let them attack, let the left and right back attack. But without a blend, of course, you need a faster uh, left back. Can you see my point, Mike? About if if you have if you play the three four one two, you can have the three defenders, three top class defenders, someone like Ake who's left is left footed, and then you're releasing someone like Frimpong who could come into the team releasing someone like Malassia to go, to go and be those effective win-backs when those wingers aren't necessarily available to select in the first place. Yeah, but I think the, the problem that everyone's had when they're relying solely on Dumfries to be an attacking clog in a 5-3-2 is that everything was directed towards him. And if mm. he's not having a good game, then everyone's creates absolutely nothing going forward. And because Ben's not fast enough to join the attack so if they want to break they pump it along and hope that Dumfries wins a header wins a flick on on the right and then it creates something that he gets in behind the defense if that doesn't happen if Dumfries gets sort of taken out of the game then everyone's have nothing going forward and I think the 5-3-2 formation definitely has a future but you have to be able to adapt it to go 4-3-3 when it's gone well I think we saw that from Argentina in this tournament that they were so flexible that when things weren't going right, they would bring on, or they'd start with 4 3 3, then they'd change up, they'd bring on Sandro Martinez, they'd go five at the back, and then they were able to fluidly change it during games. Never once didn't see anything like that. We saw it as 5 3 2, and that was it. You know, when Van Hal, when they were struggling, he didn't try and change it to 4 3 3, didn't try and attack from the wings with wingers, he didn't do any of that. So it was a bit rigid. Um, We'll see what Kuman can do with it because I think that it's kind of forgotten that Kuman he didn't start the five three two in Dutch football, but his idea was that five three two at Feyenoord was just before Van Hal did it at the twenty fourteen. So Kuman has played five three two before he has had uh, a go at it. With better defenders, he went for four three three with Netherlands, and I'd like to see him try that again. Um but as you say, there's no right winger in this Devon squad, and that's why you need somebody like Xavi Simmons to maybe be pushed out there like he does at PSV. Um, and you need to wait for that right winger to come. By the time that 2026 comes along, there might be some right wingers, there's some players that can play there. But right now, it's putting somebody as a left-footed winger on the right to fill a hole because there isn't somebody there. Um, so I'm glad I'm not wrong, Kim, and I've got the one that's trying to, got mm. to fix this. Um but we won't know until March what, what he decides to do um, until that first game against France. I mean, all we can do is just predict it. Um, I think we all want to see more attacking football from the Netherlands. It's what we grew up with. It's what we like seeing. Um, and I hope he does bring some more attacking football. But to me, it's not just the, the wing-backs in these sort of, and it's the midfield. I think the, the midfield free, whether it's in a 5-3-2 or a 4-3-3, he needs to get that balance right because that's what Van Hal didn't get right. Um he tried it with Darun, didn't work. He tried it with Klassen in there, didn't really work. He tried it with um, Berghaus, didn't work. Um, he tried Gakpo at a 10. Sometimes it worked, sometimes he's getting pushed further forward. He needs to find a midfield balance. Um, that's, for me, what's the most crucial thing in these upcoming games. Surely most of these midfielders in that squad don't get selected again, by the way. It's not just Dave Blint, his career, so it's going to be many of those midfielders, right? Yeah, I would expect you'd see Gravenberg if he gets starts getting game time for Bayern Munich. You'll start seeing Joey Veerman in there. Um, you maybe even start seeing some players out of AZ Alkmaar, like Janny Reinders, who's having a great season. If he keeps scoring yeah. goals and showing himself for AZ, he comes into contention. There's other midfielders. Matizua at um, Stade de Reims in France. There's Jerry Schutten in, in Bologna. There's other ones out there playing top-level football who have the qualities and everyone's need, they just need to be selected and put in there and stop picking Davy Klassen because he's in the Ajax squad. Would you agree with that, Abdul? Do you think there's any anyone to suddenly come in and make that big difference? Or is that going to be the waiting game, I guess, to see who pops up next? 
Well, um, I just I just wish for uh, Kuman to to make some some changes and try some players. Um, for example, nobody is talking about Sidney Van Hoydink, who scored six goals uh, so far for Herenveen. He's only three goals uh, away from being the top scorer in the Eredivisie. Um, you know, uh, Somerville, uh, the player of Leeds, he's been playing very well lately. He scored in the last uh, two or three games he played for Leeds United, I think. Um, there are also some uh, young players, maybe not for this time, maybe for the next World Cup. Fofana, the, the young player of PSV, I think. But if you're talking about the midfield, I think we should drop Klassen and Berghaus for good. I don't think they can perform anything uh, extra for Orania. And uh, as uh, Michael said, maybe Hrafenberg, it's time to try him. Um, Reinders, he's been doing very well lately with AZ. I don't know if you guys agree with me about uh, Quentin Timber as well. He's a starter, he's a regular starter with Feyenoord, who could also uh, add something to the midfield of, of the national team. Uh, but in, in my opinion, uh, as we stand for the moment, I think the best three you can have in the midfield are uh, Cook Miners, Frank De Jong, and Simmons as a playmaker. Yeah, that midfield could be transformed, couldn't it, with Simmons? But the, the I mean, Sidney Van Hoydank, Sidney Van Hoydank is, is, is a left field shout. But I don't think anyone could criticise that Abdul now that um, Anthony's not put to play for Hair and Vane is coming to this. Is the the, the best goalkeeper for Netherlands at the moment. Um, yeah, I, I can't therefore deny that that's an interesting shout. With players such as Dodone, for example, it's like he serves only one purpose. I don't think he fits in the Netherlands' purpose in the midfield. Frankie's playing so deep. Um, that is, it's such a puzzle, isn't it? Like you said, Mike, for, for Koeman to figure out with the midfield, that's, where does he start? <laughs> Yeah, he needs to find someone that can partner Frankie. The problem is that if you're going to play 5-3-2, you've got three defenders at the back who are constantly in possession. Hmm. And then you've got two holding midfielders there. It's far too defensive. Um, yeah. If he's going to go 4-3-3, he's going to have to find somebody that can hold the midfield with Frankie if Frankie wants to go forward. So I think Quinton Timber was a great shout. If he keeps yeah. developing, I think he'll be... Uh, number six for the, the future. I think he's been having a great season. I think that going forward for Feyenoord, he's going to be a sole six, which I think their fans have been calling out for. So I think that he becomes a great choice in there. He needs to find somebody that can do the dirty work so that Frankie can be unleashed. And they need to find somebody that can create it forward. That's why I think that somebody like Joy Veerman can be great in there. Um, Ravenberg, when he gets game time, I think can be great in there. Timber is another one that can be great in there. I think you need to stop constantly just bringing in the same players. The same what we saw for years when he was kept bringing in Kevin Strutman. You knew that he, he didn't have anything to offer, but he kept bringing them in. He, kept, he was in the squad every single time. Um, he kept coming in games and stuff like that. If he's not good enough now, he's not going to be good enough in two or four years if he's uh, coming to the age that Darun is. Um, it's time to start looking at the players that can be there in two or four years. Um, and I think that Koeman will do that. And the good thing about Koeman coming in is that he does not have a link to one specific Dutch club. I think that him having managed Feyenoord, PSV and Ajax during his career means that he doesn't come in with a certain identity. You know, Van Hals got an Ajax identity. Um, I think that Kevin comes in with fresh eyes. He's going to look all over the Dutch league to find the best players. That's why I think that Quinta Timber comes straight into contention. Gertrauda comes straight into contention um, for Feyenoord. And I think he will look at look at AZ Agmar again because there is a lot of talent there. You know, there's a reason that they're they're fighting for top four in the Netherlands. That's because they've got good talented players. They've got a very good youth system as well. So I think that I trust Kimmin from what he did with the Netherlands before. I know it went wrong at Barcelona, but people forget that he came in and transformed the Netherlands from being such a disappointment to people believing in the Netherlands again. And Van Hal yeah. took it on again and took it to the next level. Kimmin can come in and he can really take Netherlands to be in a top side again. And I think that he will. Mm. Let's talk about Ron Koeman. What do you think he will make of the way that the Netherlands have gone out of the competition and the way that that maybe would affect some of the players? What does he do with the likes of Memphis Depay, who was beginning to make um, a, few, a few comments in the media, which sounded like he was trying to sway 
Van Hal's decision-making. Can't deny Memphis's impact for this for the side with the goals he scored. But it sounded like he, he too was beginning to have a say when he said, you know, I play best with Stephen Berkvine in attack, not with Cody Hapo. And then all of a sudden, who's he playing up top with? Berkvine, Hapo's playing behind him. Do you think Kuman, despite having this tight-knit group of players, has something to deal with there with a few players? Yeah, I think that that rightly got called out um, in the Dutch media. I think that, I can't remember who it was that said something about that, but you shouldn't have players in tournament coming out with stuff like that because immediately Cody Gakpo goes, oh, well, he doesn't like playing with me up front or this might not work when we go up front. And then if you have a scenario like it did with Bergwijn coming in and then having an absolute shocker, then Van Hal looks weak because then he's like, oh, he's just done that because Memphis wants to do it. It didn't work. So why did he do it? Um, yeah. I think that he needs to have the discipline that, right, Kumin is the one. I'm the one that makes the decisions. You play the way that I want to do it. Um, and this is how it's going to be. They have a relationship. I think Kumin gets on well with, with Memphis. He was the one that took him to Barcelona. Um, so I don't think there'd be much problem there. But there is a lot of deadwood in this Netherlands squad that needs to be, be taken out. Um, and there is a few players that aren't good enough right now and they're getting into the Netherlands squad on reputation alone. And he needs to change that. Yeah, totally agree. Any thoughts on um, how Cumin's going to deal with this bunch of players after when he when he first comes in? Well, um, I think he's going to stick to his rule that you have to play. Uh, you have to be not a starter, but you have to play many minutes with your team in order to be selected. I just hope he sticks to that rule, really. Uh, otherwise, he can look for other players. If the big stars are not starters in their team anymore, like uh, Memphis, for example, he's our main attacker. But uh, we saw how bad he was when he uh, was benched for a long time with Barcelona. I know he did some moves. He he did some magic with Orani, but that that was uh, that was not enough at all, of course. So maybe he will um, stick to his rule. I hope so. And bench him and start with a new uh, fresh legs up front. What do you make of he has these two Euro games coming up in the Nations League? <laughs> Just as a side note to everything else, do, do you think that we need to have these friendlies back? Or do you enjoy having the Nations League and everything else? I mean, from my perspective, I think it would be good to have less qualifying games for the Euros and if that were possible in some respects. And then... Then you've got, well, more more games to trial things. But I suppose you are going to trial things, aren't you, in the, in the qualifying games? The players are under pressure, but it means you can't give that young player a chance, really. Well, it's only one match that's going to be uh, tough, which is uh, the match against France. And I think the first official match for Kuman was also against France in Nations League uh, 2018-2019. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that was his first official match as well. Not friendly, I mean official match. This time he's facing France, pretty much the same France that he faced in 2018 without really many many differences. And the second match is going to be against a very weak opponent that he should not really struggle at all. That's with. my point. So how, what would you learn from playing Gibraltar? If Brobby scores a hat-trick, that doesn't mean much, does it? You're not, like, not yeah. going to pick him the next match. Uh, well, maybe he can try something with the France, even if he, even if we lose against France, we can still come second in this group, you know. I'm not really worried about this match. I mean, uh, the, the the qualifying campaign is long. You can always come second, uh, especially that the other teams are not really that strong. Greece, uh, Republic of Ireland, okay, they can give you some trouble, but I think with the quality we have, we can defeat them easily. Not to mention, of course, they will even take points from each other, Greece and the Republic of Ireland, you know. So um, even if we lose the first match uh, with the France, I think Kuman will have to try something. Uh, he, he played in a very conservative way against France when we lost 2-1 in the Nations League, but it did work. Although we lost 2-1, but we played very well in that match. Maybe he will try something similar. As Michael said, you know, he tried the 5-3-2 before and it did work. We defeated Portugal 3-0 with the 5-3-2. So maybe he will try this with France only, and then he will come back to, the, and he will go back to his 4-3-3 uh, tactic. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I know what you're saying, Michael, with, with friendlies. I think that everyone's were sort of, it wasn't a handicap, but the fact that they were one of the first teams up meant that they, they went into World Cup with no practice games, um, whereas other nations did. Like Some nations had a couple of friendlies before they went into the tournament. Um, and I think friendlies are a good way of bringing a few players through and seeing if they can handle the level and seeing what they can do in everyone's shirt. I wish there was more friendlies because I think that if every single game is competitive, it sort of gives less chance to give younger players an opportunity. If every game has pressure on it, you're not going to call up the 19, 20-year-olds to see how they can do. Um, so I'm still say that I would prefer to have one or two friendly matches in a year just to experiment with. Again, the football calendar is becoming even more congested. Yeah. Um, so it's not possible. And, you know, you've, you've even got this FIFA Club World Cup coming up um, as well that is going to give players even less time off. So, I mean, it's going to be even harder to, to fit in international games. But, yeah, I think that it's a baptism of fire for Kimmich because he comes in, he's got France straight up. Will the pressure be on straight away? Probably not because people will say, oh, he's just lost to the would-be World Cup um, runners-up holders from four years ago. There's an, in France, you know, if they get beat, they get beat. Um, but I do think it's a good opportunity because I think there might be a little bit of a hangover for France. Um, if a new manager comes in, there might be a couple of players that their heads drop. He might be not there, but I know Benzema's going to retire from international football. There might be another couple of players that get, get phased out. So it could be a different sort of France um, that turn up and see if it works for them. But I think it's a good chance for, for Kevin to show, look, it didn't work out for me at Barcelona. Here I am again at Netherlands. It worked out last time. Let's go again. Um, and let's get Netherlands to, to show that we are one of the best nations in, in football. Because right now, I don't think if someone's to name the top 10 nations in world football, I think that because of the performance that Netherlands put at the World Cup, many people would probably forget them. Um, and I think Netherlands do have the quality to be a top five nation in the world. And I think they do have the quality coming through to challenge at Euro 2024 to win it. Yeah. Yeah. There's still part of me that thinks if it weren't going to be Argentina, France, England, or um, Brazil in, in this World Cup, it may have been the Netherlands that, 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 that won the whole thing. And Van Hogg did with less quality players managed to bridge that gap to the top teams and it's now up to Kuman to take that and if and I, I always talk about formation change on here we always bring it up because dutch people not just netherlands fans but it's, it's an obsession in the netherlands itself about this formation Kuman can't then interrupt all of that hard work van Hal's done because he has bridged that gap that unbeaten run is still kind of there isn't it from van Hal? Kimmon has to then take the best of what Van Hal's done and make it his own thing. But yeah, you can't deny what Kimmon's already done in the past a big, vast, rapid change to get when Evans playing his way. And he might do the same again here. A few people were sceptical, though, that he won't be able to have, have that big change this time. He won't he won't be able to do it because of that failure at Barcelona has maybe put down people's mind. Um, is there any doubt in your minds that he... He won't be as he won't be as effective this time. I don't go into thinking that because of what happened to Barcelona, he can't do the job. I think that he can. Um, I think that he comes into it with a good reputation. I think that when Frank de Boer came in, everyone knew it was going to be, oh no, it's de Boer. This isn't mm -hmm. going to go well. I don't think anyone's coming into this going, oh, Cumin had a, a bad point at Barcelona. This isn't going to go well. I think that everyone will still remember that Cumin did great things when everyone's before he before he left. So I come into this thinking that he is after Van Hal, he is the right man to take this nation forward. Out of all the coaches available at the moment, if I was to if Kuman wasn't already official and we're looking at someone to take over again, I'd say Kuman would be my choice because I think he is at the moment the best available Dutch coach that isn't linked isn't at a club right now. Um yes. so I don't have any doubts. Myself. Yes. Yep. I would say the same, yes. Mm. Yeah, I don't know what 
people were, were thinking when they were doubting him quite so much. When Kuma left, we were so disappointed because he he was the man for the job and was doing so well. Um, he needs to keep think, keeping things fresh, though. He doesn't want to keep it the same way for years for the years to come. You know, he has to keep experimenting and changing things. Maybe there's people watching and listening that are thinking that they are doubting him and what he can do. Um, if you're one of those people, do let us know in the comments again about that. Um, or anything else you've heard so far on this podcast. So with Kuman, we talked about Kuman, we talked about the, the some of the players that might possibly be available. Um, as, as a whole then, if you were to grade from A to F, the World Cup as a whole, what would you both say and why? Maybe if I start, I'm actually going to go quite positive. I think had that penalty attack gone a different way, a different day, the Nevins are in that semi-final. Um, I think I'll go as high as a B. But I don't think you two will agree. I think you may go lower than me. Um, but Van Hull, I believed in what he did. I believed that he had to change the way the Nevins usually play to get the best out of what they had. And he did make them into a potential contender. Even though they weren't in that game against Argentina for a long time, he did change it and he got them back into the game. There was a plan to do that, but there obviously were things in that extra time period and the penalty shootout, which I don't agree with. And I think Van Hal could have done a lot better. Um, how about you two? Michael? I think I would... There's, there was good parts and there was bad parts. There's parts that I really enjoyed. Um, USA game, second half of that, hmm. was, was really enjoyable. The end of the Senegal game... Other than that, it wasn't much I enjoyed. Obviously, the Veghorst moment, that, that's the moment that, as a football fan, that's what you live for. Like that, you know, it gets you up, it gets you off your feet. You're happy, you're screaming, you think that, you know, you've got to win everything after that. But we didn't have enough of those moments. So I would say probably a C. Um, I'm not going to go as far as going to E and F and saying it's a fail. But I think it's in the middle because. quarterfinals was what them to do but I think this was a huge missed opportunity I think that Van Hal is again penalties away from getting to a semi-final get to that semi-final I think that anything can happen not to say I think we can't say that Croatia are bad side and yeah you know they are they are a very good side I think that the you know, Modric had a great tournament they've got some defenders who are are excellent up front they've got plenty of things that could have caused everyone's problems I think that would have been a very close game but I think if they beat in Argentina, then I think that the positivity they would have taken from that into the next game, I would have seen them probably winning the tournament. Um, so I'm, I'd say a C overall for what I think. Uh, well, this this uh, tournament reminds me pretty much, or this World Cup reminds me pretty much of 1994. I I remember I, I remember I graded uh, Orania by that time with a C. Uh, it's pretty much the same, you know. We we played very bad in the first round, but we led the group. Although we did we did not lose at this World Cup, we lost by back then to Belgium. But we led the, the group uh, both times, and we did not play well at all. All matches were very tight, uh, except for the match in the round of 16. It was it was relatively easy against against Ireland. The same thing with the United States. Somehow it was the easiest match, you know. In the round of in the quarter final against Brazil, we had the uh, these amazing moments, these amazing minutes where we scored two goals, uh, but then of course we lost the three two. That's what pretty much happened in this World Cup as well. We had these crazy minutes that we made a comeback again, but then we lost the match in a different way, of course. Uh, so I I would grade it C as I graded the uh, 1994 World Cup. It's pretty much the same performance. Next question. What did you think of Argentina winning the competition as a whole? Um, I guess my overriding feeling is the tactics and the, um, the it won in the won in the World Cup, but I wasn't pleased with the penalties that they won, with the attitudes of some of their players, not just the Evans players, but um, some of the some of the some of the play in general. Um, and whilst I mean Martinez is the Aston Villa goalkeeper, I'm an Aston Villa fan. Um, you know, did he do the right tactics by you know, checking the ball away, that kind of thing? Um, 
I'm guessing neither of you wanted them to win the whole thing, but did you did you think they deserved to win the World Cup? I would say, for me, um, I don't like the fact that they won it. Um, before the tournament started, I watched the Messi documentary on BBC and I really enjoyed it. And I thought, oh, it's good, you know, it, it was really good. It was a really good documentary. And I was thinking, oh, it would be nice if you won it. But because of the attitude of the players, it took the shine off Messi for me, the way he acted yeah. in the Netherlands game, the way he got into Van Hal's face and was like screaming at him and the way the, the players were towards him towards after the penalties and just the, the whole attitude now. People say it's sour grapes and with Emmy Martinez, I don't like what he did in the final. I don't like him throwing the ball away. But if people want to remember back to Tim Krul, Tim Krul was also a bit like that when it was, came to penalties. He would get in players' faces. He would, he would say to them, like, oh, I'm going to save your penalty, and it, it worked. I think that Argentina have what Netherlands don't have, which is just some fighters that get in people's faces. They do the really dirty stuff. They, they kick players. They, they get away with it. Another day, I think that Argentina could have had two red cards in that final. Um but they didn't get them. Um, and another day, Messi could have been sent off against Netherlands, but he got away with it. I think that luck was on their side throughout the tournament. Um, and I think on the balance of playing the final, I think they deserved it because they were better than France. But in the whole tournament, I think that there's little moments that just played into their hands that could have went very differently. Well, uh, to be honest with you, I mean, from the beginning, I wasn't satisfied with this World Cup uh, being uh, hosted in a very small nation that even smaller than my own country, Kuwait, I have to admit they did a great job. But switching the time, making you know from the summer to to November, that was very difficult for big football nations. I mean, uh, the uh, the Dutch national team was assembled only maybe uh, uh, a week before the tournament started, without any friendlies, without anything. And that was kind of, you know, uh, bad, really. We did not get a chance to play any friendlies. And uh, to be honest, I was saying it before the World Cup started that, you know, Messi will not retire without winning a World Cup. You might, uh, uh, I cannot really explain it to you, I mean, like this, but uh, I, I knew it, seriously. I knew he will win a World Cup someday. Although all his performances in all the past World Cups were really bad. I'm sure even Argentinian fans were not happy with his performance in 2018, 2014, 2010. Um, Argentinian fans were complaining about him all the time, that he's not really being as great as he is with his clubs, with, with the Barcelona at, at, at that time, you know. Suddenly, this World Cup, he, he, he's playing like he's 20 years old. Uh, to be honest, I was shocked. And he's given uh, a, a full 120 minutes. Uh, he did that with France. He did that with Holland. That was surprising. Um, that raises so many questions. And yes, they did deserve a red card, at least, for the player who uh, made the foul and kicked the ball. I, I forgot his name. Yeah. 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 I mean, he should have gotten two yellow cards in a row, which leads to a red card, of course. And that did not even happen. He just got one, red, uh, one yellow card. Messi should have gotten a red card in that match. And again, five penalties. That never happened for a team in the World Cup history. So it does raise many questions. But, uh, well, what, what can we say after all? And one more thing. The way France played against Argentina, until the first goal was scored, it was like an amateur team. They made very, very clumsy mistakes. It felt like, it felt like this is not the French team we, always, we, we all knew. Somehow they became a bad team. I don't know if you noticed that. The first half and until the first goal they scored. Why? I have no idea. When the France played England, they didn't look great either because it was a 50-50 game, a good quality game. The France didn't impress. They were missing a number of players, weren't they, through injury and people get to talk about how deep their selection was. Got them, it got them as far as the World Cup final penalty shootout, so they have definitely got strength in depth. But yeah, the... Argentina-France final, I thought it was playing out in a similar way to the Netherlands-Argentina match where Argentina were doing better, scored a couple of goals, 
seemed to be cruising to victory and then all of a sudden, bang, out of nowhere, there's a couple of goals because your team's gone a lot more direct. And that's maybe what the Netherlands were lacking against Argentina in the end. Um, my kind of last question to you about the World Cup as a whole is what were your favourite Netherlands moments? And I'm going to say moments because, I don't, I'm, you know, it's not a competition. You don't have to pick one if you don't want to. I think sh- surely we, we would all agree Beckhorst's um, second goal um, to, to bring Le Mevel from that free kick. But also, I, I really want to pick out Andalus Noppert and just in general, the, the moment of him him appearing in that like World Cup quarterfinal. Um, it just makes people think, you know, anything's possible, not just in football for lots of players, just in life. It, you, you know, you can, he seemed like a stranger, didn't he? He seemed like he was one of us playing with all these big name players and fair play to him for getting, for getting that far. And who knows now what that, what could be next to him? Big money move. Does he keep playing for Netherlands? It's all really exciting for him. Yeah, I think the, the Weghorst moment, that's, in this tournament, the Weghorst moment is the Van Persie moment from 2014. That's mm. that for Netherlands fans in this tournament. Yeah. In terms of other ones, you've got Memphis's goal against USA. Um, the brilliance of that team moved, the amount of passes, and then the finish at the end, um, which showed that the Netherlands still have that ability to play from the back and just blow teams away. Um, that stood out, and the finish for Cody Gakpo's goal against Ecuador, I think, was fantastic. Yes. And I don't know if I'm right in, in this, but I think that's the only Netherlands goal that's been put forward for a goal of the tournament. I don't think Veghorst's or Memphis's is even in the running for it. I think it's only Gakpo's one against Ecuador, which has been nominated, which I think is insane, considering how good the other two were. I think that Veghorst's goal should be lauded as, as absolutely genius. And the moment it is, the amount of pressure that's on it, the absolute audacity to go for that and to pull it off is is insane. So that's the moment that's going to stick with me from this tournament. Um, and yeah, I think that's what everyone's going to be remembered for in this tournament is the emergence of Cody Gakpo, Anders Nobert, and then that goal from from Beckhorst. Yeah, of course we we have to agree about the moment of Beckhorst. It's like the best moment since uh, Costa Rica 2014. You know. Uh, since crawl in 2014 against Costa Rica. And of course, about the goal, definitely it's uh, Gakpo's goal against uh, Ecuador, although we played terrible in that match. But this goal, uh, it's really a goal I would take with me. I would love to watch it uh, now and then. It's a very nice goal. Um, Please allow me to say this. I'm already uh, trying to forget this World Cup as much as I can because it had so many bad moments. Okay, we did have nice moments here and there, but it was mostly bad moments. Even for the people who are saying if we defeated Argentina, we could have gone all the way to the final. I don't think Croatia was a very easy team to defeat. With, with this performance we had, they could have they could have also eliminated us. Uh, one more thing, uh, we really need to look ahead at the Nations League, Euro 24 qualifier and Euro under 21, which the Netherlands qualified also. It's going to start in the summer. We have Georgia, Portugal, Belgium. I think uh, Kuman might actually pick some players from this team. Yep. Mm-hmm. So lots to look forward to in the future. Um... What what do you what do you think will be the the, the, the biggest things that, that Kim will pick up on then then you two uh, as a final thing we talk about in this podcast what do you, what do you think of those biggest problems he, he needs to fix I'm sure we we'll touch upon them in this podcast but he's not going to tear everything up from Van Gaal in in the next few months before that first game against France um, what are those biggest issues for you two the the biggest issue is just sticking to his rule as I mentioned. If you don't play many minutes with your team, you will not be a starter. As simple as that. Because I think that was our main problem. Yeah, and for me, I think it's about building a squad that's ready for 24. And, and if Kuman continues after that, onto the, the next World Cup, it's getting the team ready for that. And it, it's getting those fresh legs in and, and really revamping that midfield. If he's going to go to 4 3 3, he needs to look at fresh legs. He needs to find the perfect partner for Frankie de Jong because Van Hal's not been able to to do that. I think that the future is bright. I think there is a lot of talents coming through. I think there's a lot of players that Kimmin can turn to. And I think that there's a lot of good players in the, the Dutch football system that are coming through. He just needs to select them and get rid of the players that 
shouldn't be there in the squad. Yes. I think the daily blend will now be be gone. I think that we won't see him again unless, as I said in a previous podcast, he gets given that opportunity to to earn his one hundredth cap. I think that I'll have a gesture of look you've what you've done for the national team will give you a hundred cap and then see you later. Um time to bring in the fresh legs and then revamp that midfield. That's the two biggest ones for me. Yep. If you, if my, if I may add also, dropping the likes of uh, Janssen, Klassen, Berghaus, and as uh, Michael said, Blind, and bringing some some new players. There are so many so many players we mentioned in this podcast. Maybe he can try some of them. Hopefully, that will increase the team's power, the team's scoring power. Actually, I need to find somebody that does what Paredes does for, for Argentina. Someone that just is a bit dirty on the dirty side. That's what I want from from everyone's side. We had it before. We had Van Bommel. We had Nigel de Jong. Someone that wasn't afraid to get into the trenches and kick folk. That's what this side misses. I think that I've seen this Neverland side criticised for it as well. It's a bit too nice. It's a bit mm. too, oh, we're, we're turning up. We'll, we'll play some nice football. I'll oh, be very nice to the opponent. We won't get in our face too much. Yes, we have a bit of banter with them, but we need somebody that's just going to go out there and, and put up the fight. Mandarin is not that guy. We need someone to go in and put a few tackles in and do the dirty stuff. Richard Lipazer? <laughs> if he doesn't get sent off every game, then then maybe. But yeah, somebody that's, that can do what the Argentina had. You know, a player that, that fouls, does that, but doesn't get sent off. Someone like Nair de Jong, someone like Van Bommel, someone that's got a bit of fight to them. That's what, what this never size need. Yeah. And on that note about Brazil, let's let's end there, shall we? And thanks everyone for joining us during this World Cup. Uh, things we've been doing, the, the website has had tons of content. Thanks, thanks to Mike. Um, so send his appreciation his way, of course. If you've enjoyed a lot of the written stuff on football, Anya. Thanks as well as we've had some guest articles throughout throughout our time in this World Cup on football, Anya. Thank you, Abdul. You know you've been going to to the games and. It's been great to have on the podcast as well as well as as well as Mike giving your thoughts on it all, and um, thanks everyone for for watching things that have been on YouTube as well. Of course, people might be listening to some SoundCloud or wherever else, and maybe you don't know too much about the things that have been putting on the website or on YouTube. So go and check them out if that's the case. We're doing a lot of Eredivisie stuff probably between now and, and March, but then when March comes around, we'll be having the previews for the games against France and Gibraltar. Um, the streaming again after those games and the Nations League is something great to look forward to in June but that's all quite a long time away at the moment and we'd like people to, to give us a like if you enjoyed it subscribe if you're new to Football Dania and of course drop comments down below what did you think about the World Cup as a whole how would you grade it and which players do you think Koeman should be looking out for next do you think Koeman is the answer to all our problems um, thanks everyone for watching and stay tuned more from us soon bye <laughs>